Chapter 4 of The House of Love This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The House of Love by Elizabeth Cheney Chapter 4 Miss Turner's Method Doris did not have to be called the next morning. She was awake before the sitting room fire was shaken down, and lay there in the dusk, wondering and thinking. Grandma Lane was snoring gently. Doris was warm and comfortable, and it was good to be awake and to know how quiet and cozy it was up there, away from Mrs. Wilde and Aurelia. She wished there was something she could do for Kelsey Starr to show how much she appreciated his championship. I guess his great-great-greater-greatest-grandfather must have sat at King Arthur's round table, or else perhaps he's some relation to Abraham Lincoln. I'll ask him. Doris's wildest imaginings could not conceive a greater compliment, for to her patriotic, fervent, worshipful little soul, one tall, gaunt, deep-eyed figure towered above every human being that had ever lived. Her mother had told the story well, and Julius Caesar and Napoleon I must ever hang their diminished heads before our martyred great heart. If I can only remember, she said to herself, that this isn't Mrs. Wilde's house where I live. It is God's house, and only kind people live in it. I wouldn't think God would want such a very homely girl as I am in his lovely house. Now I know why Mother used to tell me that everybody can have a perfectly beautiful spirit, and it is the spirit that God sees and knows. There goes the stove shaker, and Doris was up as at a trumpet call, and downstairs before Grandma was awake, or Mrs. Wilde herself had appeared on the scene. A kerosene hand lamp was burning sullenly on the kitchen table, and Thaddeus sat by the stove, drawing on a pair of heavy boots. He resented the presence of Doris in the house, but he had been a kind-hearted man before Abigail Lane had repressed and suppressed all the gentler traits of his nature. Well, little girl, he said gruffly, but not unkindly, I see you're broken into harness. This is a great house. We're raising a queen of Rushi. Relia is a very pretty girl, said Doris pleasantly. Her hair is wonderful, and her eyes and skin. Well, you can't get through life on looks, said Mr. Wilde. Looks is a small part of the whole business. Some of the homeliest people in the world have made the most friends and been the nicest to have around. Doris felt a little ray of comfort steal into her heart. She went into the sitting room and raised the shades evenly. The early light showed the doll's house, and to Doris it seemed like a fairy palace. Nobody had forbidden her to touch it, and she laid a hand lightly on the red, sloping roof and bent down to look into the dainty rooms. All the child in her nature tingled to take the lovely baby out of its crib and to make the gentleman and lady walk down the real stairs. She was aroused by the sharp voice of her mistress. Snooping and spying, of course. Please, Mrs. Wilde, I am not touching anything, but who could help but admire these pretty, pretty things, replied Doris cheerfully. There was no sullenness or resentment in her tone. Mrs. Wilde drew nearer. She was a trifle ashamed of her violence the day before, and very proud of the house that had been built to order by a carpenter at the corners, and fitted up herself at night when Aurelia was asleep. Yes, I spent a lot of time and money on that toy, she said, but really doesn't seem to care much about it. She hardly touches it now. She's going to have a piano this Christmas. How wonderful, said Doris. Yes, said Mrs. Wilde. I'm quite set on it. Her father don't approve, but it's quite time she commenced to play. 
Now hustle and clean up that zinc and dust everything thorough. I must stir up some muffins. Doris went fleetly about her task. It gave her a chance to go on with the splendid lines she was learning, and also to cast many a glance at the snowy landscape. There had been another storm in the night, and she could hardly repress a cry of exultation as she saw all the dazzling phenomena of the poem revealed by the first rays of the winter sun. She wondered if Kelsey Starr saw them, too. Mrs. Wilde had closed the sitting-room door to keep out the odor of frying, and just then, Kelsey came around the corner of the house with a large wooden shovel to clean off the side porch and make a path to the road. Doris drew the little book from her pocket, tapped on the window pane and the cover, and pointed jubilantly to the gatepost, with its tapering turret, to the Parian marble wreaths on the dog kennel and chicken coop, to the full, even whiteness of the lane from wall to wall, and Kelsey understood and nodded enthusiastically, returning her smile and glad for the door he had opened to a lifelong pleasure. When the breakfast tray went up to Aurelia with the light dainty muffins and broiled chop, she refused to touch the food and demanded griddle cakes and maple syrup. She crushed the muffins and threw them at Doris. It happened that Mrs. Wilde was coming up the stairs and saw the performance from the landing. What is the matter with the muffins, I'd like to know, she demanded. They were my very best rule and lighter in a feather. I want griddle cakes, declared the household tyrant. Well, you won't get them this morning, said her mother. The top of the stove's all cold, for I've just filled it up for ironing. Now eat that chop and drink your cocoa, for I've something to tell you. What is it? pouted Aurelia, picking up her knife and fork. Your father and I talked it over last night. We talked till midnight and we ain't spoke since but you're going to have lessons two days in a week. Lias Turner's daughter, Louise, down in Kent, is home from Broad River Seminary, and she's tutoring this winter at the Stebbinses and the Allens, and she'll come here, too, and attend to your studies. I don't want to study, said Aurelia sullenly. Well, you've just got to, replied her mother. There's no reason why you shouldn't be a fine lady one of these days. I'm willing to work my fingers to the bone, but I can't do it all for you. Doris was making a bed in the next room and could not help but hear the conversation. Oh, she said to herself, I wish I could have such a chance. I would think that everybody in the house of love ought to be able to learn. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I wonder if that means that I won't have to go without an education. Why, of course it does. A wave of joy flowed through the heart of the child, and she began to sing softly as she beat up the pillows and smoothed the counterpane. Why, I can't do without anything that is good in the house of love. Not even a doll's house, ran on her happy thoughts. Mrs. Wilde went downstairs, calling out to Doris, Now don't dally. As soon as Relly is dressed, I want you to clean the knives. But Doris was not destined to clean knives that morning. Aurelia had a sudden desire to play with her doll's house. I haven't played more with it, she said to her mother, because it takes two. I want Doris to run the kitchen in the nursery while I'm doing the parlor. I can't move all the dolls at once. You said you got Doris for me. Mrs. Wilde grudgingly yielded, and Doris could hardly breathe for joy. All the morning, the two children sat on the floor before the fairy palace. Doris was a rare playmate. Without seeming to do so, she named the hitherto nameless residents of the house, invented a series of thrilling domestic happenings, invited company from among some long-neglected small dolls in Aurelia's chest, and just before the dinner bell rang to summon Thaddeus and the hired men to the noon meal, 
a false alarm of fire in the make-believe night, when the doll family and guests were all asleep, sent them flying down the stairs and out into the street with what valuables they could secure, and made a brilliant denouement, especially when the distracted father rushed back after the forgotten baby. Aurelia had started in to be contrary and dictatorial, but actually forgot herself in the charm of the little beggar girl's imagination, and had the best time she had ever known in her life. Mrs. Wilde had been too astonished to interfere, although highly displeased to see Doris on such equal terms with her idol. Now, Aurelia, she said, it's very true that I got Doris Avery here to wait on you, for you've got to get used to having a maid, but she's got to help with the housework, too. I can't have her fooling away her time as if she was a visitor. She's a lot of fun, retorted Aurelia. More than Mary Hollis or Emma Skinner. I'm sorry I called her names, and she didn't get the grease on that red dress, either. I did it my own self, so there. And Aurelia betook herself to the far side of the room with an instinctive desire to escape what was surely coming. Mrs. Wilde turned white with rage. The spoiled dress meant more to her than Relia's deceit or the painful injustice to Doris. I've never laid hands on you yet, said she, much as you've deserved it, and I don't intend to now. But I will think of some punishment that you'll wish hadn't never come into my head. I'll tell you tomorrow what it'll be. Something had awakened in Aurelia. She had committed the first noble and generous action of her life, and the sensation was new and strangely sweet, especially when a grateful look from Doris and a low thank you accompanied the plate of soup that Doris set on the small table. A few days later, Louise Turner appeared on the scene, and the unwilling Aurelia began the common English branches and French. The work went on in the sitting room, and as Doris was looking over dried peaches in the kitchen, both voices were distinctly audible. Aurelia was undeniably stupid, and had to be told the same thing over and over. Once Mrs. Wilde sent Doris into the room to put some coal on the fire, and the teacher, looking up, saw a pair of glowing eyes, so full of keen interest and desire, that she determined to know the pale and awkward child, and gave her a smile that, fortunately, was not observed by Mrs. Wilde, but was like sunshine to the lonely little heart. Miss Turner went carefully over Aurelia's lessons for the next time. She perceived that the soil was stony and had no depth of earth, but she knew intuitively that no word was lost on the other child. When she left, Kelsey Starr brought the horse and cutter around from the shed, and as he tucked in the lap robe around her feet, she said to him, Who is the other little girl? It is Miss Aurelia's maid, he replied with a mischievous flicker in his eyes. There was an answering glimmer around the corners of Miss Turner's mouth as she took the lines from Kelsey's hand. But although she had often seen him at the rector's house in Kent, she said nothing but started her horse with his jingling bells along the spotless and shining road. When she came the next time, she had prepared a typewritten list of twenty-five questions on Aurelia's third lesson, and at the close of the hour had a little interview with Mrs. Wilde. Miss Turner had a very gracious and charming manner, a pretty deference that quite captivated Aurelia's mother. You know, Mrs. Wilde, said she, that we both desire the very best results from my work with your daughter. She cannot best be served by stereotyped methods. Mrs. Wilde raised her chin a trifle and beamed approvingly. I wish it were possible, went on Mrs. Turner, blending the dove-like and the serpentine in clever proportions, that someone might work with your daughter between lessons. 
carefully going over a list of printed questions that I will take pains to prepare. Can you do this yourself, Mrs. Wilde? Me, Miss Turner? Me? Have you any idea what there is to do on a place like this? What with the chickens to feed and the butter to make and all the meals to cook and the washing and ironing and the whole house to keep tidy and sewing for Aurelia till all hours of the night? I don't never see an idle moment, Miss Turner. And if I had six hands instead of two, they'd be all of them busy, from daylight to dark and after. No, I ain't keeping no boarding school. I'm running the heavy end of a farm. The men get done with their chores and sit around down to the corners and smoke, but I never get out of sight of the next thing to be done. But as I remarked, Mrs. Wilde, continued Miss Turner cheerfully, someone must help your daughter prepare the answers to my questions, and also ask the entire list. They are simple questions, which will not at first take much thought or time to look up. Is there no one in the house who can help me in this way? I might prepare phonograph records, but that would make the lessons very expensive. You have a very bright young man here, Mrs. Wilde. Our rector speaks very highly of him. Perhaps he... Miss Turner realized that too much dove had fluttered into the conversation at the expense of the serpent, for Mrs. Wilde's countenance grew stern and forbidding. You have to summer and winter with some people to know him, she said darkly. Kelsey Stars had altogether too much made of him in some quarters. Well, I will be very sorry to have to lose your little girl as a pupil, but I must carry out my method to get satisfactory results. Even a child of her own age would do nicely, provided she can read. There's a child in the house, said Mrs. Wilde. Perhaps you haven't noticed her. I sent for her down to New York to wait on Relia, and help me a little besides. Do you suppose she'll do? May I see her, please? inquired Miss Turner. Doris! Doris Avery! called Mrs. Wilde without leaving her chair. Doris came shyly in from the kitchen. Miss Turner greeted her coolly. The radiant smile was wanting. Little girl, can you read? Miss Turner did not dream that it was the clear, beautiful reading of Doris that had brought about her own installation as a teacher for Aurelia. Yes, Miss Turner replied Doris timidly. Let me hear you, please, handing her a book of essays that she was to leave at a friend's house on her way home. Doris read a few lines. Mrs. Wilde glowered, and Miss Turner nodded approvingly. That will do, she said in a highly professional manner, checking the deer that rose to her lips, for there was something wonderfully tender and appealing about the child. I am positive, Mrs. Wilde, she went on, that Doris is quite capable of reading my questions so that Aurelia may be sure that she can answer them. At Broad River Seminary, there was someone employed to help us prepare our lessons. It worked beautifully. Well, I suppose you may as well do things your own way, so long as you take such an interest in Aurelia. It won't do any harm to try. I've always known she isn't ordinary. How much time do you suppose Doris will have to take from her work? Half an hour, three times a day, replied Miss Turner. Arranged according to your best convenience. On this occasion, when Kelsey brought the horse to the gate, Miss Turner said without a change of countenance, The little Avery girl is to work an hour and a half a day with Aurelia. It's my method. Mrs. Wilde was looking out of the window and saw only a serious and respectful lifting of Kelsey's cap as the young tutor drove away. But Miss Turner heard him say under his breath, Hip, hip, hurrah! And a few moments later, a black hen made an expostulatory flight from a stolen nest in the haymow, due to the wild gyrations and uproarious laughter of a youth who seemed to find his own company sufficiently exhilarating.
As for Louise Turner, she was communing with herself along the snowy highway. Yes, as her mother says, Aurelia is not an ordinary child, and she isn't. She's the most extraordinarily stupid and lazy young person I have ever known. As for my method, it's a good one, and I have a right to insist on it, haven't I, Betsy? And she chirped to the old brown mare and went merrily homeward. Doris did not dare to exhibit any pleasure over the new arrangement, but her heart was singing like a lark. Her keen intuition had divined the sympathy and kind intent behind Miss Turner's apparent indifference, for she had not forgotten that first smile. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. How the blessed psalm was lighting up for her more and more. In the house of love one simply cannot lack for friends, nor for any other good thing, even if one is homely enough to turn milk sour. She had been coming up the cellar stairs with the carrots when she had heard Mrs. Wilde say those very words about her. But Grandma Lane had replied, You can't always tell, Gail. Freckles is very deceiving. I remember Janet Waverly when she weren't more than ten years old. Folks really pitied her mar. I found her once crying her eyes out up the storeroom, cause she weren't good looking. But she grew to be the most beautiful of all the Waverleys of my time, and she was such a lovely corpse it seemed wicked to put her away. And Grandma wiped away a retrospective tear. Doris looked at the pile of textbooks on the table as eagerly as a miser views a bag of gleaming gold. They were practically her own, for she could go with Aurelia into the enchanted land, and no one could keep her from gathering the precious fruit, or ever take from her what once she had made her own. End of chapter 4